Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? Man, what a nice group tonight. Just look around, smile at somebody. Go ahead, smile, smile. That's good. Well, I love what Pastor Aaron uh, talked about tonight because last night we were on the very same subject. We are on the subject of salvation and discipleship, and it's a, it's a continued dialogue uh, in all of us, right? There's no perfect person. If, if, if we were perfect, amen, we'd be in trouble because we'd be lying, right? And we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're growing disciples of Jesus Christ. And last night we got into salvation a little bit and how, uh, how important it is to make sure that the people that we're interacting with know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Can I get one amen in here tonight? And we want to be, it's not that we don't want to be great spouses, that we don't want to be great friends. We want to be great friends. We want to be great spouses. We want to be great disciples, but we don't want it to be at the expense of an unbeliever uh, feeling like an outcast because we set the bar so high for them to know Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? So Jesus loves you just the way you are. Some, somebody was just waving both hands and both feet at me. Amen. I'm with you. I got, I got what you're laying down. But tonight, I want to just for a second before um, I bring up my favorite preacher, my wife, amen, I want to just share something quick uh, with you tonight. The scripture is in Exodus 20. And the quickest way to feel empty is to always want what we don't have, is to always be searching for what we don't have. To never have an attitude of gratitude for what God has given us. And I'm headed somewhere in just a second here, but uh, stick with me on Exodus 20 and 17. It says these words, You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or his Mercedes or his BMW. That's supposed to be funny. Or anything that belongs to to your neighbor. The quickest way as a believer of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to always be looking for what you don't have and lose the appreciation for what God has already given to you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm thankful for you tonight. Look at your neighbor and tell him that tonight. When My first thought tonight is when you consider what others have as more and you miss the gratitude that God has in what you have, you are coveting. Let me say that one more time because God is working it not just in you. He's working it in me tonight. And I'm, I'm brave enough to say that, that everything I minister tonight, it, it's not pointed at you. It's pointed at me. And then it flows from that. When you consider what others have and who they are more than you are grateful what God has, for what God has given you, you are coveting in that moment. And I just want to encourage everybody in here during this season where we enter into uh, the Thanksgiving season and the Christmas, the Christmas season, to consider what God has already given you and to consider that 
fullness in Jesus Christ is when we understand that God has given us everything we have. He's given us salvation. He's given us our health. He's given us our family. He, give, he has given us what we have. And we can get so wound up and so tied up and so empty considering what everybody else has and, and this uh, pie-in-the-sky mentality that I never have enough that you can miss the joy that Jesus has for you in this moment. I hope I'm talking to somebody tonight. Consider what God has given you. Don't, don't be looking at, oh, I wish I was her, and I wish I had, I wish I had those features, and I wish I had that, that spouse, and I wish I had what they have. No, God, I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you that you're developing me. I thank you that you're discipling me to be all that I can be, to be all the family that you've provided right in front of me, because when we don't do that, we're covenant. My second thought tonight, do we encourage others to be, called, to be who they are called to be? Or do we attempt to make robots that appear to be just like we are? We can covet, and by coveting, we try to make robots out of people and create them to be who we are, not what God has called them to be. How many of you know we're all a little weird? Amen. And God has created, if you look in the mirror and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're driving down the road and you're considering who God has made you to be, the enemy can sow into you, I wish I was him. I wish I was her. And all the while coveting because God has created you to be exactly who you are. Now we're growing, we're being formed in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ our Savior. But the truth is this, God made you to be exactly who you are. You are not a copy on a copy machine. You are an individual that was sent from heaven to make an effect here on this earth. And you mess up, I mess up, say the wrong thing, wish you could take back what you did, said, thought, but God made you to be who you are. Walk in who he's created you to be. Do we encourage others to be what God has called them to be? Let me just add a little something to that that the Spirit dropped to me as I walked up here. Are we always in our own storms or are we able to help others when they're in theirs? Are we always in this continual state of, I need help and, and woe is me and I'm low and I'm down and please give me the attention that I need? Or are we in a place where we're standing in faith and victory and joy and the fruits of the Spirit and we can call things that are not as though they are in other people. Hey man, I know you're going through it right now, but you're just, uh, you're about to walk into the greatest season of your life. I know you're facing it right now, but your kids are about to knock on the door of the greatest level that they ever seen. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man all that Jesus has laid up for you. I'm ministering to someone out of the power and the healing that Jesus Christ has given me. Come on, somebody, tonight. And my last thought tonight, my last thought tonight is contentment. What is contentment? I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you are enough. Oh, I will be 
content? Is it just a song? In every circumstance, in Jireh, you are enough. What does that mean? And I'm telling you, we had no conversation about this. Listen to what I wrote down. Where does contentment come about? about? Listen to Matthew 5 and 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled up. The filling that you're looking for, it's not found in a car. It's not found in a woman. It's not found in a man. I love my wife. My wife is awesome. I, when I hit the door at night, I just skip all through the house because I'm so excited to be home. But can I tell you something tonight? Two weeks from now, we'll be married 18 years, and this I know to be true. I can't fulfill her, and she can't fulfill me. There's only one that fulfills. And I just read it to you, for they will be filled up. The only thing that fills the human heart and soul is when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. My dad opened the night perfect. Oh, I was glad when they said unto me, let me walk, let me trot, let me run into the house of the Lord. You want to get filled up? Get in his presence. How many of you want his presence tonight? Yeah, praise you, Lord. Well, tonight, I have never met an individual in close quarters that is more content than my wife. My wife is so content. I can't even tell her. She is so content. She'll, she puts her hand on my leg like this, and she'll just tap it like this. And that's the sign. Chill down, Rye. Contentment. And I want you to know, 18 years, I'm more in love with you than I've ever been in my life. And I'm so proud to call Samantha a pastor in my life, a friend in my life, but most of all, my lover. Would you give my wife a big hand tonight as she comes? everybody. There we go. I was like, hopefully I can see over this. Ryan and the boys got me a brand new MacBook, so I'm using it. So I'm honored to be speaking um, tonight. Thank you, um, pastors in this house, for giving me this opportunity, as it's not something that I take lightly at all, ever. So before I start on the heels of what Ryan said, um, in 10 days, we will be uh, celebrating our 18th wedding anniversary. I've been married to Ryan for half of my life. And I think about that and I'm like, that's, you know, the best half of my life that I've had. And we all have a story. How I think of how every day, every year, God is writing something new in my story and in your story. To think of how God is writing my story and yours according to his will for our life, just as he has for so many people that we read about in the Bible, is just incredible to me. Let's pray before I begin. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for those that you've brought out here. Just speak the words out of my mouth, Lord, that you want spoken. Choose me as your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Malachi started off with a song, too, and it says, 
uh, for Grace Rewrote My Story. And I was like, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That was awesome. Um, so I love that because how many of you, Grace, has rewrote your story in your life? Amen. And then Ryan talks about salvation. That's going along with what I'm sharing about as well. So the title of my message tonight is Not My Will, Lord, But Yours. Before you were in your mother's womb, the Lord knew you and he had a plan for you, each and every one of you. In Psalm 71, 6, it says, yes, you have been with me from birth, from my mother's womb, you have cared for me. Thinking of stories, and there's this new song on the radio called God is in this story. I don't know if you've heard it by uh, Katie Nicole and Big Daddy Weave. And I had to look up why did they write this song? What does this song mean? And what they had said about it is that this is a song of hope, a song of encouragement, that God really is present with us in all seasons of our lives, the really great ones and the ones that are difficult. God is not giving up on us. He's in the details of our lives. We can trust him that he's working things together for our good. So if you haven't heard that song, check it out. So in trusting God, there's something else that goes along with it. We must obey God obedience, at least the kind that our good, loving God requires, is neither legalistic nor lacking in affection. Although it places needed boundaries and demands on us, each bit of instruction he gives is born out of the tenderness of his heart. And his desire is to steer us toward the best for our lives. Obedience is not a no, it is actually his best yes. It resides in oceans of grace and leads us to freedom, wholeness, and health. It opens us up to his unbridled blessing and abundance, and who wouldn't want that, right? It would feel a hundred times worse if we were to drift away from Jesus. We would be casually drifting away from God's Son, the creator of the world that we live in, who died for each and every one of us. Drifting away from eternal salvation and drifting away excuse me, from a miraculous gospel story. In Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, it says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message of God, delivered through angels, has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. So if we plan to obey, we put ourselves in position any day of the week to hear what he wants us to do next. And then to have him bless us with the supernatural joy of following him. I couldn't help but think back to the child dedication that we had. It was unlike, it looked unlike anyone that we've had before then. We saw the parents standing down here with their children and what an act of obedience to the Lord that the parents, you know, on behalf of their children came down here, you know, signed their name up. They wanted that for their, for their kids. And just to think of the plans that the Lord has for all the children of this world, far more than we can imagine. I believe that for my own children, that through mine and Ryan's obedience to God, that he's growing our sons up to draw them closer to him every single day and generations to come. In Hebrews 10, 35 through 36, it says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. 
God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So we're to trust, we're to obey, have patient endurance, the list goes on. So we're going to dive, if you will, into the Old Testament story of Jonah. Anybody familiar with the story of Jonah? Okay. So all of you that have your hands up, question and answer time, you'll be ready. Oh, I'm just teasing. There's no question and answer. So as you know, Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a preacher. He was also a Hebrew. But as you'll see, he was also a man of disobedience, foolishness, and he was a bit of a sulker. Jonah is running from God's expectations, from God's demands, from God's requirements. So that brings me to my point number one. We can never outrun God. Let's look at how committed Jonah is to this, to running from God. In Jonah 1, 1 through 3, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, down, let's remember that, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord, how funny, I put in parentheses, by sailing to Tarshish. So if you were to look at a map from Jonah's time, Nineveh was east, that's where the Lord wanted Jonah to go, and Tarshish was west. You can see it would have only taken around 500 miles or so by land to get to Nineveh, that's where the Lord told Jonah to go, or the way Jonah chose, it took around 2,500 miles to get by sea to Tarshish. That seems very foolish, right, when you think about it. And you'll find that Jonah was foolish in the things that he did. As I'm sure it can relate to all of us at times. Nobody in here, though, tonight, of course. He would rather be 2,500 miles out of God's will than 500 miles in God's will. I read this quote by Tony Evans. It says, to run from the presence of God is to run in the opposite direction of the will of God. God's saying, this is what I want you to do, but you don't like it. Sometimes we don't like doing what we're told. We can be a stubborn people. We all have logical reasons of why God doesn't know what he's talking about, and there's too much risk. You're asking way too much of me, God. In instances such as this, we may get so mad or upset at God that we decide to run from his presence, even as far as to stop going to church. We don't want to be reminded of what God wants us to do. Can't you find anyone else but me, Lord? Anyone ever said that? For all the parents out there, it's similar to when your child is throwing a temper tantrum. They think you as the parents have completely lost your mind in telling them something they have to do or telling them how they should behave. Any parents been there before? Yes. <laughs> so Jonah went down to Tarshish. In his selfish decision, Jonah was headed down instead of up. He was going down and he just didn't know it yet. And Jonah had to pay the fare to get there. Whenever you run from God, it costs you. It costs you your health, your joy, your peace, mental stability. However, when you're in the will of God, God picks up the tab. Now, doesn't that sound so much better than the first one? Yes. For it says in Hebrews 12:5, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. 
if you claim to be a Christian and you're in rebellion and God isn't coming after you, then you must be someone else's child. He's not going to leave you alone. He just loves you too much. Jonah went through this storm because he was rebelling. And when you and I rebel, we can expect sometimes some bad weather. And not only to ourselves, but it'll affect those in relationship to us. Jonah 1.4 says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. The sailors on board started throwing all the cargo overboard to lighten the ship, and they were fearful for their lives. And where was Jonah? He was sleeping down in the hold of the boat. Jonah was so comfortable outside of God's will that he'd fallen asleep during the storm. You can be so far out of the will of God when you can sleep through a storm that's designed to discipline you. You see, it was a spiritual storm, not a meteorological one. And Jonah knew the storm was his fault. He told the sailors, just throw me overboard and this storm will stop. Jonah 15, 1.15 says, Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. When they got rid of the sinner, the storm changed. Jonah 1.16 then says, The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. So instead of fearing for their lives, now the men greatly feared the Lord. Remember when God brought the storm to the sea, the sailors, they had started off by praying to their gods that they had, but they wound up praying to Jonah's God at the end of it. The sailors, they were the ones that got saved. Jonah led them to Christ, led them to salvation, and he, he didn't even know it. He knew in the back of his mind that the storm was his own fault. He admitted it because he didn't go the way that God told him to go. But God can still do his work even in our rebellion, and he does. Brings me to number two, our God is in control. So God appointed a great fish. He didn't create one, he appointed one. That's very important. The miracle is not that a fish swallowed Jonah. The miracle is that the fish paid attention to the Lord. He obeyed what God told him to do without question, without negotiating, without hesitation. For God was not only authority of all people, but of animals and nature alike. God was using all of creation, human beings, the wind, wild animals, to bring about salvation of one wicked nation. The Bible says in Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. More to come on that. God isn't finished with you yet. Don't think for one minute that God has stepped aside or that he's over on the sidelines of your life. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God's work for us began when Jesus died on the cross in our place. His work in us began when we first believed. Then chapter 2 goes on. You can read it for yourselves. The entire chapter and it's just a short one, is Jonah's prayer of repentance to God. God trapped him and put him in a place. It was at his lowest point that drove him to call on the name of the Lord. Once Jonah called on the Lord and prayed inside the belly of the fish, his circumstance changed. I read this quote from Beth Moore. It says, God will sometimes allow things to get bad enough that we will be forced to look up. Victory always begins with a cry for help. 
When we come to the end of ourselves and cry out for help, amazing things happen. And all the while he was praying, the fish was carrying him, moving him, taking him somewhere. God is always moving even when we can't see it. At the end of the chapter in verse 10, it says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The fish spit Jonah out on dry land in Joppa. And you remember in the story that Joppa was where he got on the boat in the first place. So the fish was taking him back to his point of disobedience. I can almost hear the Lord saying, Are you going to buy another ticket to Tarshish? Are you going to change your decision this time? Are you going to put your own selfish ways and thoughts aside and follow me? I think Jonah just wanted to learn the hard way. God spoke to Jonah a second time, like, in case you missed me the first time, Jonah, I'm going to say it again. Jonah had run from God but was given another chance. How many of you have been given another chance? Amen. And this time he obeyed. It doesn't say willingly or grudgingly, but we, we, you have to read that for yourselves. God is saying, go, and I'll give you the details, not the other way around. There's no negotiating with God. Jonah finally went to the enemy nation to deliver God's message. For God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. And did you notice something? God's words didn't change from the first time he spoke them to Jonah. He said the exact same thing. God didn't change his word to satisfy Jonah's rebellion. Jonah had to change his rebellion to satisfy God's word. My last point, number three, he, being God, knows the bigger picture for our lives. Amen to that. The book of Jonah is historical. You see, the city of Nineveh was a great city, meaning large in number, and as evil as it was powerful. After Jonah delivered the message that the city of Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days, Scriptures say that the people of Nineveh believed God's message, the entire city, even the king. This is the only time in the Bible where a whole city gets saved at the same time because of Jonah's message from the Lord. In Jonah 4.2, Jonah goes on to say, it says, So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah became a reluctant prophet because he knew God's grace would overwhelm Israel's enemy. Jonah is saying in his prayer that he knows that God will bring Nineveh into a covenantal relationship. It is an astounding admission of the true nature of God's covenant to Abraham. God would use Israel to reach the entire world with his love and grace and forgiveness through his son. This scripture is remarkable also in that it demonstrates that when God shifts his affection on the people, we should expect conversion. The essential nature of God and his mission in the world should be a powerful motivation as well as a source of confidence as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. John 15, 16, in the English Standard Version says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jonah was running from leading uh, one of the greatest evangelist, evangelistic movements in history because he didn't like what God told him to do. We may be missing out on one of the greatest moves of God in our lives that we ever have had. So don't miss out on what God has for you because of your stubborn rebellion. 
and I'm speaking to myself tonight just so you know, just so you know, don't miss the blessings that follow him from living a disciplined life. God only has the best for you in mind. His plan for us is far better than anything we can devise up on our own. Hebrews 12:11 says no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I think of, and I shared it last Thursday, about leading my grandma to the Lord. She's up at the Wyoming County Nursing Facility. What if I had missed that moment of being obedient to the Lord? And then I wrote, help us not to be spiritually immature. I believe that the Lord told me that once I allowed him to open that door in my life with confirmation from Ron Cervone, that it would be just the beginning of many opportunities for me to bring others to the saving knowledge of Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. People who you think could never get saved could be on the verge if they heard from you. Jonah didn't think that would happen because the people there were so evil, but God has such grace for all people. You never know what God is doing on the outside while we are quiet on the inside. Hebrews 3.14 says, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Jonah would not have been walking by faith if God had revealed the plan to him in the first place. If we will obey God, he will lead us to places of greater service. So let's change our focus on the things that are happening in our lives, the bad day that we're having, the irritating coworker that we have to deal with, the negative situation. Maybe the things that are happening to you are appointments from God to grow you spiritually. Just like I said that the fish was appointed by God. As long as God is doing something for us, we're fine, right? Everything is good. But when God wants to use us to do something for someone else, we almost view it as an inconvenience. But you cannot be a recipient of God's grace and not a dispenser of it. You can't just keep it all for yourself. How easy it is to be more sensitive to our own interests than to the spiritual needs of people that are around us. We all need to cultivate the same compassion for others that God has for all creation. You see, God spared the sailors when they pleaded for mercy. God saved Jonah when he prayed for him inside the fish. God saved the king and the people of Nineveh when they repented and turned to him. God answers the prayers of everyone who turns to him. God will always accomplish his will, and he desires for all people to come to him, trust in him, and be saved. We can be saved if we heed God's warnings to us through his word. If we respond in obedience, God will be gracious and we will receive his mercy, not his punishment. Lastly, to, as I'm closing, I thought about how Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days. And I was like, why does this sound familiar? Three days. And I thought of the comparison to Jesus' death and resurrection. In the New Testament, Matthew 12, when the religious leaders demanded that Jesus give them a sign to prove his authority. And I wrote, really? After all the miracles that have already been performed. Jesus said the only sign they would receive was the sign of the prophet Jonah. In other words, they would see Jesus swallowed by death and delivered after three days. So in reading that, this proves that the story of Jonah is true. Why? Because Jesus said that it was. Three days after his death, Jesus would come back to life, just as we know. Just as Jonah was given a new chance at life after three days in the fish. 
Jonah changed a whole city by preaching the word of God. How much change can our perfect Savior, Savior Jesus Christ, bring about? Ephesians 4.10 says, And the same one who ascend, descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. So allow God's promise to transcend time and speak to you today. God's word assures that he has a great plan for you. Trust that the circumstances of today will not harm you, but that God will use it to prepare you for what is ahead. If God is determined to stand with us, tell me then who could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. We read this last night in our Ladies of Light Bible study. We're talking about Ruth and talking about her obedience to the Lord. And what happened because of that, she eventually became Jesus's great-grandmother. And just to think of that is awesome. But it said in our book, never assume that what happens in your life is merely a matter of chance or coincidence. Remember, God is at work divinely orchestrating events to bring about his purposes in your life. So your salvation, it's not just a past experience on our conversion day. It's a future hope. I was saved, so now I look forward to eternity with my Savior. You are saved in a most wonderful way, whether you understand all the dimensions of that salvation right away or not. But you will know Christ better if you take time to discover all that he has accomplished for you. It's just another part of your story that God's writing. So think back a moment to your own salvation. Whether you're newly saved or you've been saved for a number of years, I believe we can all agree that God drastically changed the course of our lives. In Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, he ends the prayer saying, For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And that's something that, just like Pastor Ryan said, we want to share that with other people. We want to give them that opportunity while we're here on the earth. I'll end with this scripture in Ephesians 1, 11. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray together. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking through me, Lord, your words that you wanted spoken regarding Jonah and the path that you had him on, all the little, you know, trinkets that we can take from that, that we can learn from. I thank you for each one of us that you have here tonight. I thank you for every moment that we had, each one of us, at our own salvation, Lord. And help us to never forget that, but want to think about that and, and help other people to become saved as well. We want to make heaven crowded, as you've heard many times. I thank you, Lord, for again, for each person you've brought out here. I pray that the word touched their, their lives, touched their hearts, Lord. Just pray great blessing on your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't leave. Tell her. Stay up there, Sam. Tell her. Aren't you thankful for Sam tonight? Amen. Man, I'm thankful for her. What was the title? Put it back up there, will you? Not my will, but yours. I think back 
when I was a little boy and I was in service and the preacher began to preach and I knew that God had called me and I ran as far as I could run. I was Jonah. Amen. Any other Jonas in here? And how God just by his grace and his kindness. Maybe you're in that place tonight. Maybe you've walked in disobedience. You felt the Holy Spirit tonight as Sam spoke. You just say, Lord, I wanna I wanna reroute. I wanna reroute like on a GPS. You know, I believe with all my heart that when we come to him and and that spirit of humility and that sp spirit of obedience that God begins to reroute our stories. I want to pray for you tonight. If that's where you are, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't, you don't have to move an inch. But just say, as I pray, Lord, hear my prayer. I believe with all my heart that there's a rerouting happening in a life tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray tonight for the, those your heart's been tugged. There's been conversations. There been, there's been motives. There's been thoughts that have been disobedient. I pray tonight in Jesus' name that your grace would be poured out on all flesh tonight. God, that your kindness, that your goodness, that your faithfulness would be shown so real in our life that even this week and in the weeks ahead, Father, even for someone at home tonight, God, that there would be a rerouting that takes place. And because of it, that heaven would be crowded. That cities, that schools, that workplaces, that churches, Father, they'd see the fruit of obedience. Thank you for that tonight. Thank you for a Holy Spirit word tonight in this place. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say one more thing right up here that you are called, that you are chosen, that you, before you were formed in your mother's womb, you were appointed as a prophet to the nations, and no eye has seen and no ear has heard, neither it entered in, into the heart of man all of what God is going to do th through you. Do you believe that tonight? We love you so much. Thank you for being here tonight. And thank you, Samantha, for sharing God's word tonight. Those of you that are at home, we love you so much. Put a heart on the, the feed here. Make a comment. Share the, the feed. Someone needs to hear this word tonight. God bless you. Go in his grace.